Welcome everyone. Hello. Hello. Welcome to episode six, the Geeks Destroying Conquer show. I'm George. Apache. I'm Anthony. This week we're going to touch upon a bit of Doctor Who, a bit of Dracula, what we've been yeah. watching recently, um, a couple of other things, but first... People of a certain age will remember that for 80s kids TV. Um, it was created by Neil Innes, passed away at the end of last year, the 29th, um, age 75. As well as that, he did other children's TV, like Puddle Lane, um, which a lot of people didn't realise until, unfortunately, he passed away. Because um, yeah. a lot of people do remember Puddle Lane. Um, but what he's best known as um, is the creator and singer of the Beatles' pastiche band, The Ruttles. Yeah. yeah. That was... Basically, the first Ruttles song Neil Innes wrote. Um, he wrote that in the early 70s when he was hanging out, uh, creating work with the Pythons. He thought it sounded quite Beatlesque. Um, at, at that time, he was a big part of the creative team during the last series of Monty Python when uh, John Cleese left. Mm-hmm. So, John, the, the series itself is a bit of a weird one um, because it's more like it used to be ske- uh, individual sketches, yeah. but it was more like um, each episode was a continuous story all the way through. It was yeah. a bit weird. So, we had a lot of uh, input on that. A connection with the Beatles um, come about um, actually in the late sixties as well with the Bonzos. So they appeared in the Magical Mystery Tour. Yeah. Um, and they played a couple of songs in Magical Mystery Tour. Um, and Urban Spaceman Which was actually produced by Paul McCartney. You've got a little bit of a story, haven't you, about uh, the Bonzos, Patrick? Oh, kind of. Um the way that I first found out about the Bonzo Dog Do Lab and is when I was in school. Now, I'm going to start telling you a story now that might sound a little bit strange and definitely <laughs> would not have happened in this day and age. But um, when I was in school, we had a teacher who was sound, who I'll, you know, I'll, I'll keep his name out of this because um, he's retired now. And um, he'd have a group of lads who we thought were, were on the level, you know. And if he thought you were on the level, he, you would get invited to go on holiday. You see why this one <laughs> get invited to go on holiday, and we would he would take you to. He was member of a sailing club in Norfolk, in the, on the Norfolk Broads, and he would take the lads down, and we'd go. He part owned a yacht, and we'd go down, and we'd stay there for a week, and he played sousaphone of all instruments. He played the sousaphone, and he played the sousaphone in a jazz band, and we would. Go down, sail in the morning, tie up, have a couple of drinks, which was brilliant for it, for any young kid, and um, tie up, have a couple of drinks, and then he'd say, um, um, "Do you want any jazz?" And then he'd play. And he was he, he introduced us to the bonzos, and I've got a, a a really vivid memory of we were sailing along, 
one of the one of the broads, and we were about to go under a bridge. And as we were about to go under a bridge, we had to pull over to bring the to bring the um, to bring one of the masts down, the main mast down, so we could fit under the bridge. So we'd stopped at the side of the of the river and bringing it down. And as we were, one of the other boats just went shooting past us, because we were all kids sitting on these boats with you know under supervision, like. And it just it went straight into the straight into the um, bridge. The mast was bending itself back. We were all trying as hard as they could to get out. And as we were, this teacher's boat sails past, and he's just at the back with his hand on the rudder, with a glass of sherry in his other hand, singing "My Pink Half of the Drainpipe" by the ones who don't do that, and just going around in circles in the river. But yeah. Um, Obviously, when I found that, when I dug into them a bit more, when I was when I got a bit older and stuff, and I found out that Neil Innes was in them, and I was like, oh, he's the magician out of Puddle Lane, and then yeah. obviously mm. he sang the Raggy Dolls theme tune and stuff, and it's amazing when you see, obviously, he's with his work with the Pythons as well, how much he was part of popular culture oh, without yeah, being well known. Uh, yeah, I was going to say he's one of those names where you go, what did he do? But then when you research, there's there's so much from like around the seventies and stuff. That's just really, uh, he made a big impact, didn't he, with yeah, his music? Definitely. I mean, that's why I know it was a bit of a strange decision, maybe, to play Raggy Dolls at the, at the very start of the show, but instantly I know it's going to be stuck on a lot of people's heads now yeah. when they listen to this. Um, I was I was actually, I think I said to you guys, I was going to play a couple of seconds of it, but I decided to play the whole thing just because the lyrics in it are very, like, if you actually listen to them, they're just they're so clever. Again, yeah. I know it's a kids' TV show, but. He was just so good yeah. at writing melodies, writing clever lyrics, yeah. and really nice heartfelt lyrics as well. Yeah, um, he was he was fantastic. So, yeah, when he finished with um, the, the TV show with the Pythons, um, he, he did a small movie together, Holy Grail. Oh yeah, yeah, I think um, I just a little bit. About <laughs> yeah. um, he wrote most of the music in that. You know, he was one of Sir Robin's minstrels. Yeah, got. So, like when I seen them live a couple of years ago, a couple of people were shouting, you know, place it as bold Sir Robin. He's like, oh, okay, then. <laughs> don't do requests. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and he did that, and then did Raggy Dolls. <laughs> he went right, that's on, that's over then. And then he just played, you know, for another two hours and yeah. just some amazing tunes. It's basically how the Ruttles, the film, all you need is cash, yeah. come about. Um, Eric Idle was on SNL um, with uh, Law Michaels. And he was showing a couple of clips from Rutland Weekend Television. Mm. One of them was the Rolls. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and he just said, Law Michaels, who, like most people know, Law Michaels is the, was the head of the creative team at the SNL at the time. Yeah. He said, this needs to happen. Went downstairs, apparently doing it in, the, in his office, went downstairs and um, got the money for it. Um, and yeah, it was pr- produced, made within a few months. Well, that's it, because you get people from SNL within it as well, don't the, you? The like, get, like the names that the guest, yeah, the guest stars. You know, Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi. I'm just going to th- reel them off now. Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi, Bill Murray, Gilda Radner, who's superb in it. Yeah. George Addison is, <laughs> is in it as well, isn't yeah. it? Um, Mick Jagger's in it. Paul Simon's in it. Michael Palin's in it. Ron Woods in it. I think he's one of the like the Hell's Angels or something. Ron Woods, Ronnie yeah. Woods from Stones. Um, it was just fantastic, and I was in prep for this. I was watching a couple of like little interviews with him and stuff um, with Neil Innes, and um, one of the which I knew anyway. One of the bit, bits of dialogue in the film is where it's supposed to be like the bedding, but he's in a bath and he's just mm. covering himself with water. Yeah, and he just he, he was saying he just 
started filming and he just, the whole monologue is just completely improvised and it's superb and it's about like you know we're all just part of the sewer network you know <laughs> we're, we're getting wet we're getting wet for this and it's just when you watch the Ruttles film and then you watch um, you watch the Beatles anthology they're so clever all the bits the bits in the hotel rooms and stuff like that they're superb one of the um, one of the stories that I came across whilst I was reading about the, the Ruttles and stuff for this was that um, he was the, in, Neil Innes was taken to court by the owners of the Beatles catalogue yeah. And, yeah. and he had to testify in court that he hadn't listened to the Beatles back catalogue while he was recording the songs yeah. but he'd done them from memory from what he recorded of them which he accepted but then later on years later Neil Innes' music publisher took Oasis to court because they'd lifted part of whatever directly from Auschwitz it is to be an idiot. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he, de- he demanded a, a co-writing credit for Neil Innes. Well, that's the... I mean, it, there's a difference, though, because they literally lifted... The, they used that music with note for note. Yeah. Like, if you listen to whatever... I was, I did actually, again, I was in prep for this, I was listening to them. I'm not a massive fan of Oasis, but don't mind them. Um, and I listened to whatever. And it's just ridiculous. It's so... It's the they pick it up straight away, and again, No Gallagher come in and was like, yeah. oh, "I've never heard that. I've never heard that song before." And I read a little, um, it was NME or something, one of the tributes to Neil Innes, and it was like you could sort of believe No Gallagher when he said that because he might have just, you know, maybe subconsciously taken it away from something. Yeah, well, um, it wasn't in the mainstream, was it? No, really? no. So, but he said uh, they were saying basically like his melodies and everything were just everywhere. Yeah, I mean, Urban Spaceman. How many times has that been used on like adverts and stuff? Yeah, like that? yeah and which is ironic because the whole thing with Urban Spaceman at the very end of the, the song, he says, um, "Here comes the twist. I don't exist." Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> because basically, and he, again, that little interview he was watching and stuff. He was saying um, it was actually um, you know the desktop concerts. That they have on yeah. YouTube. Yeah, yeah. There's a great one from a couple of years ago with them, and he says before he sings, he says a little bit about the song. And he's like, you know, um, it's all, yeah. Think it's basically about advertisements and people in adver- you know, in adverts that they don't exist. Like it's like they're always happy. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're never fighting. They're never sick. They're never, you know, they're all just the, the most perfect people in the world, and the, that the whole thing doesn't exist. Um, you know. Th- the, the song, the tune as well. The tune's just brilliant. I love the, um, is it like the, uh, the flute or something? What, uh, it's a kazoo, the, the isn't kazoo, it? Kazoo. Or something. Yeah. It's fantastic. Um, but he won a uh, Ivan Novello as well for that. Oh, right. Um, which is like what a salad. <laughs> <laughs> That's just it. Just shows you how you know that that is re- reserved for absolute peak, you know, songwriting peak tunes. Yeah. And he won it. It was fantastic. Um, there was a. Nice little. I, I think that's the, the trouble as well when you're a musician who's involved in things like the Bonzos and the Ruttles and stuff like that. You're seen as kind of like a, a novelty as yeah. opposed to being a serious musician yeah. and some of the musicianship that went into. I mean, the Bonzos were all, you know, they were all accomplished jazz musicians, right? They, and mm-hmm. then went, that's great, but let's just make our own instruments. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. But like we said earlier, like the. He, he was so clever with his lyrics. Like the, the other night when I was like prepping for this. There was a. I just ended up putting YouTube on and just listening to his songs one after the other, and yeah, the lyrics were amazing. Um, I also found out as well um, recently that um, one of my favourite bands, Death, uh, Death Cab for Cutie, uh, they named the band after the, the song by Neil Lines. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, which makes sense because their lyrics are basically the, the lead singer was a failed poet and he decided to actually make a band and that's how he actually became famous. So to actually be able to have that there, um, it makes sense for them to be named after someone like that. Yeah. Because yeah. they think so much about the lyrics as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think the song in, in Magical Abyssary, so it's like an Elvis-type song, isn't it, or something? It's like a bit of a classic rock and roll one as well. Yeah. Um, but what he was saying, again, like, just reading, again, reading the following, just, there's lots of interviews. Um, saying to my wife about it as well. My wife's the one who got me into him actually. Um, I again, I didn't realise he knew. Was, you know, when you watch Holy Grail, mm. you don't realise it's the guy that dragged dolls and the guy that did this, this, and this. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I did watch the Ruttles um, film years ago, and I didn't really. I got it. Obviously, most of the you know, but I didn't really get. As I say, until you watch the anthology. Yeah. Um, absolutely fantastic. What he was saying, he was saying that about the royalties and stuff. One of the interviews he's getting asked about it and he was such a nice guy a lot of people might be a bit bitter in their interview or even come across you know yeah. the facial expression or anything he's just talking about it with a smile on his face mm. and a bit of jo- you know jolly step and stuff yeah. like that because even through that he had a little bit of a um, story to go with it he was saying after the, the court they, they settled out of court basically yeah. for 50% of the royalties yeah. off the songs uh, but they held the copyright for them mm-hmm. so he said I don't know how proud John Lennon it uh, Paul McCartney is, he said, to have writing credits on cheese and onions, you know, but <laughs> if you look, it's, it's Innes, Lennon, McCartney, and right. like most of the songs, it's just madness. Um, he was really close, because a lot of the stories, again, um, he was really close to George Addison through, like, Python and stuff like yeah. that. And one of the, uh, again, one of the little stories he had was, um, when he was talking to George Addison, he was saying about... Um, Doing like a, sec- a second film, basically, yeah. um, which he did the years later. Um, Can't buy me lunch. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he was saying, George Allison said, wouldn't it be hilarious if uh, Ron Nasty, who was Neil Innes's character, supposed to be the John Lennon character, yeah. wouldn't it be hilarious if uh, you got shot on it? This was like, you know, this was a couple of years after John Lennon's been shot, like you know. But it shows you the dark humor, like yeah, the humor yeah, of it yeah. all, and it was like yeah. John Lennon would have probably found that funny as well. You know what I mean? It's that sort of like scouse um, humor. It's just it's brilliant, yeah, yeah. but you know. Little stories like that. Um, he was saying as well. Um, oh, so actually, sorry, something I found out as well. Um, as my wife was saying um, years ago, there was a lot of obviously bootleg Beatles yeah. CDs and stuff like that. Cheese and onions actually ended up on one of the Beatles bootlegs because <laughs> because people thought it was a Beatles song. Can you imagine? Um, the oh no, let's not talk. But I was going to say, could you imagine you used to download stuff off LimeWire and everything <laughs> like had all like the wrong song titles and stuff, and you download something, you'd be like, oh, that's not the Beatles. You just the amount of people going, oh, I really like this song, cheese and onions. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but don't download. No. Um, so it wasn't just obviously it was um, Eric Idle was involved in the Ruttles film. And he, d- he did write, um, did write it with him, but music wise. Eric Hard didn't have anything to do with the music and he didn't sing. Right. Um, on the album, he didn't sing in the film. Obviously, Eric Hard was, you know, he's a talented guy, isn't he? Yeah. He's yeah. a talented musician himself and stuff. Um, but there was a, it was a guy called uh, Ollie Holsall who died in the early 90s as well. Um, but he sang like the Paul McCartney um, versions of the songs. Right, but, you, okay. know, you know, um, Dirk McQuickly is he in the, in the role. <laughs> but he appears in the film as well and he's the fifth role. So you know, like with um, Stuart Sutcliffe, yeah, 
passed away um, in Hamburg, and that's the whole thing in the Rolls Royce. Like the fifth Beatle, Beatle, they all went to Hamburg and they lost them. Just like he ended up somewhere else, like <laughs> right. and there's a picture of him, like, but it's actually that guy as well. Um, Neil Innes again, he doesn't. When he talks about it, all he has is praise for him. He says how much of a talented guy he was, talented musician. Um, fantastic. But when I saw, the first time I saw Neil Innes was in The Cavern. And it was John Lennon's 70th birthday. Right. It's like The Cavern had a couple of bits on. and But he, he played the back and it, he actually shared a birthday with John Lennon as well, 9th of December. He actually shared a birthday with him. Um, ah, intimidating like <laughs> <laughs> He was just he was fantastic. And again, he was just so... Like grateful, and it was packed. The cavern was absolutely packed for yeah. him, you know, for him and the roles. And it was, it they weren't dressed up. I think he had like a duck hat on or something, like a like beret with a, 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 yeah, a duck yeah. on or something. Cause he's just mad. Um, and then a couple of years, oh, what, eighteen months after that, two years after that, he actually did a tour with the roles in the Lomax. You know, the um, what's now the O2 Academy yeah. downstairs. <laughs> I was like, I didn't know whether they were going to come out, and like, just like as they were, just plain clothes type thing, like, yeah. they, like you usually do. And I said to, the, to my wife, I was like, wouldn't it be great if they played We've Arrived first, um, which is on the album? And um, with that, all lights went out. You see them all sort of like, you could just see shadows on stage. Song kicked off, and it was We've Arrived. Um, and they were all dressed as Beatles, they were all dressed as Beatles with the wigs on and stuff like that, it was fantastic. <laughs> that was where you've arrived anyway, so it's, again, it's very, it's not just Beatlesy. it's a um, little bit of Beach Boys as well. Yeah, yeah. In that, um, it's really cool. Um, and then I seen them, it was only in 2018 actually, at the Phil, in the back, in uh, the new orchestra room, yeah. I don't know if you've, you've been in that side. Completely different gig, just really mellow, just in with like his new roles type thing, yeah. um, little band. But he was playing other things. He was, he was just such a talented guy, you know. Ukulele, ukulele come out. He played the ukulele, piano on the piano. He was he was classic, you know, trained on the piano. Yeah, you're in awe of people like that, the way they just change between everything. Yeah. Um, and we got to meet him afterwards as well. Signed, right. a, signed a couple of CDs, and they were selling like mugs and stuff like that. Yeah. And usually it's like you, you think, oh no, I'm not really gonna pay like 15 quid for a mug or whatever but it wasn't even that expensive but it was so, not you know, a mug yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you just think you know I'm not going to probably get a chance to meet him again yeah, um, yeah. and obviously with what's happened and you didn't you didn't yeah. um, and you know it was it was a five minute conversation but I just had to get across and my wife was with me and our, one of our friends perhaps Dave loved them since they were teenagers yeah um, and he was just such a nice guy so, so down to earth just asking how we were and stuff like that and um, tell, tell them a little story like we were stuck in the um, the airport a few months earlier coming back from Greece we were stuck for like 12 hours in the airport was, yeah. which was fun I had my phone I my um, watching Holy Grail on my phone I was telling them that I was like that was literally there was a point where I was just about to scream in the airport <laughs> and I put higher Holy Grail on was yeah. like, I just kept on watching like the Sir Robin uh, the Bob Sir Robin stuff you got me like, through yeah yeah he was saying that he said you know it's just when you meet someone like that they put you at ease straight away because mm. I know they're not like you know as you, as we said you're sort of one of those background people who do a lot of things and a yeah. lot of people, you know some people don't might not know what he everything he's done but you still feel a bit in awe when you meet them and stuff but he was just such a nice guy meeting him he was a really nice guy um, I think because he's always been in the background he really appreciates meeting people and people making a big fuss of him yeah. because he, it's always well he was the senpai and he was this he was that yeah, yeah. Um, even the the thing that we've said like about with the Raggy Dolls, everyone remembering a TV show like that. 
you never saw his face, he was just a voice. So for some for people to want to come and speak to him and like you said, you you just absolutely made up to meet him. Yeah. Um it's a big thing for him as well. Definitely. Um it's one of the songs that's absolutely I, I, I just absolutely love and one of my wife's favourites as well. Um it's such a sweet tune and it's called Another Day. You know, your usual streaming services if you wanted to um, <coughs> but I'd encourage people to actually go out and buy stuff. Yeah, yeah. Buy the albums, buy the if you haven't seen the ruttles, all you need is cash. Um all you need is cash. It's absolutely fantastic. You can get it on um you know, usual by usual places. You can get I was looking on eBay as well, the vinyls available in certain uh, certain areas, it's really expensive. Speaking of expensive vinyl, I was in Asda yesterday and I saw a seven inch vinyl record of the Star Wars Cantina theme and it was fifteen pounds for the seven inch record. Which is a new one. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I used to be a record collector when I could afford it. <laughs> Um, so I hope you've obviously that encourages the, the listeners if you don't really know much about Neil Ennis to go out and discover more yeah, um, do it. you'll be rewarded absolutely, in spades absolutely <laughs> you know you could, there's tons of Bonzo stuff there's tons of Ruttle stuff to investigate it's just brilliant absolutely superb yeah. um, so we've been getting back to modern day BBC Dramas, yes. <laughs> um, Using our subscription fees, yeah. yeah, yeah. TV um, license, sorry. Doctor Who started last week. Yes, brilliant. Is that what you thought? <laughs> <laughs> no, I did I love? I, I, I love. It. I think um, Jodie Whittaker is brilliant as the Doctor. She's super. Um, I think you know, as a massive Doctor Who fan, um, there was an awful lot of trepidation online when, to put it mildly, when it was announced that she was going to play the Doctor. I think she's she's took that. Criticism and just absolutely knocked her out the park. She's she is the doctor, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, you know, I don't care what anyone says. I think she's absolutely brilliant. I think this two parter Spyfall has really, really brought her performance as the doctor to a new level. I think she, it was absolutely brilliant. So, did we watch it? Did we all watch it? I watched one episode. Which one? Uh, the first episode of okay, so, Skyfall. So, you know, so, so if I mention the spoiler, the, the big reveal at the end, you've seen that. I have yeah. seen that, okay, so that's, that's okay. Um, I announced last week to the, the lads that I'm not a Doctor Who fan and nearly broke us up. Oh. Um, <laughs> I, I've just never really got into it. I have picked it up and put it down over the years. Uh, it was just, It's a show that I've always said. Maybe I should like it, but then I just I've never really bought into it. I mean, to be fair, it does. It's one of those shows that is used was always used before it came back. It was always used to exemplify low budget, yeah, apparently poorly written, apparently poorly acted sci-fi. It's not, you know, it's it's one of the most charming series ever created. But it well, was it, always, yeah, it can't be because there's well, such a big following yeah. to it. Um, you're either a, a well, I always find you're either a really big Doctor Who fan or you just don't watch it at all, yeah. really. Um, and it means a lot to a lot of people. Um, that's why I don't really speak ill of it. I just don't enjoy it. <laughs> One thing I will say... <laughs> that's, that's the nicest the way most, I can possibly put it. the most on the fence. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm always sitting on it. Um, to be honest with you, when I, I did watch that first episode, um, I, I liked Jodie Whittaker. I think she's quite charming as the Doctor um, she's, she plays a really good character so I've got, I agree with you she's an absolutely brilliant actress I thought she was really really good I just didn't enjoy the episode 
there was a, uh, there was a lot going on. I suppose for somebody who doesn't, who isn't a big Doctor Who fan, yeah. there was an awful lot going on. But the big reveal, um, you know, and see, it, it's been a couple of weeks since it was on now. So um, the big the big talking point was the fact that um, the undercover agents all actually turned out to be the master, mm. um, which was absolutely controversy, wasn't it? Con- why was it controversial, George? Not for me. But like we've discussed, there's a lot of, um, what do we call them last week, toxic fans. There are a lot of toxic fans. There Absolute are a lot of toxic fans. don't deserve anything good in their lives, because they just... Well, Sasha Darwin was, was brilliant. They don't enjoy themselves, master. though. How could you go through life being that bitter? Yeah. And finding things, like, just don't watch it. Just don't watch it. Mm. You know what I mean? Sorry. Yeah. But um, he was great, because he was... He was like, brilliant as a master. Absolutely unhinged. Now... I'm going to go deep into some Doctor Who speculation here, if you'll indulge me for a bit, right? So, we all, even as Ant is not a fan of the series, you're aware that you have that the Doctor is a Time Lord, and the Doctor can regenerate, Mm -hmm. and the Doctor is referred to as, by fans of the continuity, as the first Doctor, the second Doctor, the third Doctor, and we know that that is the order of, his yeah. regener- of the doctors, I said his there. <laughs> the order of the doctors' regenerations. Yeah. yeah. So we we understand that's the timeline of the doctor. Nobody actually can say with any certainty what the timeline of the master's regenerations are. Right. So the master is always referred to by fans as being Roger Delgado. Yeah. Or be you know by the name of the actor who yeah. played the master. They don't say Mr. the first master, the second yeah. master, the third master. Do you know what I mean? Nobody. It doesn't kind of get done like that. So. This master in this current series, this current incarnation of the master you want, could be from any number of points in the history of the relationship between the Doctor and the Master. Yeah. It's not just the most recent one. Yeah. It could be anyone. That's right. really good. When, you, um, when we were talking about it afterwards, because I think we were quite sort of excited geeks. Yeah. Um, when I was watching the episodes and he and he, he was really horrible, he was like really evil. Yeah. Whereas last time we met the, the master as Missy, as Missy, yeah, she was a she was brilliant. She yeah, was a girl, I like, think the woman who played her was brilliant. But I was like, why is he suddenly? Because the, the whole thing with um, who's the lad, the lad from Life on Mars? Um, he played him. John Sim. John Sim. So he played him, and again he was like deranged, wasn't he? he was yeah, yeah. The bit yeah. where he was like eating them. Was he meat and the human mm. meat and flesh and stuff? Um, and then by the end of it, he because they, they are friends, aren't they? As well, as much as yeah. they're absolute mortal enemies, it's that, it's that whole as well. love hate relationship. Yeah. They couldn't be, and it, it's the, I think it's a you know, it's it's the logical expansion of any relationship between any people. They love each other that they hate each other that much. They love each other that much. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, yeah. it's just that taken to its extremes. I was thinking it was the like the new master. More of a before John Sim. Well, there's, there's all kinds of old school stuff in there. Like he's yeah. got the tissue compression eliminator, which is his little that machine. That's the most that Doctor Who thing I've ever seen. Really by the way, small. yeah. <laughs> when he busted that out, I jumped off the chair. I was like, <laughs> yes, yes, it's back. But he was, yeah. He's he, he just enjoys being bad, yeah. which is great yeah. because so. you kind of when Michelle Gomez was playing Missy, she kind of became kind of like. Um, Darth Vader at the end of Star Wars, where the, you know, this, I know there's that good in you kind of thing, which was, you know, I didn't, the master should be on him, the master should be like, mm, yeah, you know, definitely. yeah, and he um, played him brilliantly. And just when he, he there's, there's a scene where he's uh, where it's back in um, World War Two in France, and he's with some Nazis and he's dressed as a Nazi, and just the master dresses as a Nazi just made me uh, 
shiver down my spine. It's horrible. But yeah, really good. It's back. Um, don't let anybody tell you that it's not enjoyable because it really is good. And I think this is going to be a really exciting series of Doctor Who where they'll move back away from having a monster of the week type thing that they did that they have done previously, and we'll move towards a longer overarching storyline. Hopefully, I did. I'm, I'm not literally doing it to like being controversial with you or anything like that. But the first we're not going to disagree on something, are we? <laughs> <laughs> Imagine I, that. I thought, I thought it was good. I thought a lot, a lot of it was the, the first episode was brilliant. It was just, I think, with a lot of the, the more recent Doctor Who's, it was like the end of the story. It wasn't. It sort of was tipping to. Re- it was a bit because we we're going to talk about Dracula in a minute as well. Yeah. With like Stephen Moffat, uh, not Stephen Moffat. Sorry, um, Matt yeah, Gattis. yeah, yeah, yeah. Moffat. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, it was similar thing with his writing. It's like yeah. he's really good, and it's really, really good story. And you really get into it, and then it's like the end and doesn't really. I, I, I wasn't very. Ha- it kind of collapses at the end. Yeah, no, do you know what you should do if you're unhappy with it? You should go online. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> on absolutely! But it was just—it was actually the story. I think the cast brilliant. And uh, Bradley Walsh, when, when he got cast, I was like, oh my god, because I've never seen him. I've always been in like dramas and stuff. He's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, I really yeah, enjoyed him in the really episode. Yeah. Um, and the young guys in it as well. Yeah. To, um, so, just one one last thing before we go on, just go really on. quickly. Um, I, you know, you probably know where as a data analyst so to see Ada Lovelace get a little bit of on screen recognition there yeah, was, was brilliant yeah. for me she was there with Charles Babbage and he just went yeah Babbage everyone knows about you swerve you off yeah so I really <laughs> enjoyed that I thought that was a nice little thing there really quickly um, just before we finish the guy who played the master appeared in Dracula as well the BBC's adaption of Dracula didn't he Yes, he did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had to think then. And he was yeah. a doctor in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's a nice bridge into the next yeah. time. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just really quickly, what did you guys think? I loved the first episode. The second episode was fun. was very inside number nine. It was probably the most inside number nine. Even with that little <laughs> Easter egg as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just, again, I thought it fell off a little bit at the third episode. I enjoyed it. I mean, I think that third episode... It gave a little bit more to the Dracula like mythology. Mm. Um, I don't want to say too much, just in pa- just in case people haven't watched it. Um, but yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it. It was just a different take on the story. I loved it. I loved it. I'm a massive Dracula fan. Um, I'm actually wearing a Dracula t-shirt right now <laughs> um, with a picture of Bela Lugosi on. But I absolutely loved it. I thought it was brilliant. Nice new take because you can't just keep telling the same story over and over again. Absolutely. Yeah. I loved, um, that's what I loved about the first episode because it was so different. Yeah, and the, even the, with the so many little... I mean, there's so many little nods to classic Dracula stories and yeah. Dracula a- adaptations over the years. Like, I do not drink wine. Yeah. And stuff like that mm-hmm. it was really good, but it kept it nice and nice and fresh. Um, it is very camp. I think that's one of the things. I mean, I, like I said, I'm a massive Dracula fan, and it's gone from being something that was probably terrifying to becoming more and more camp, more and more you know of a pastiche of itself as it goes on. And this kind of is very aware of that. I liked it. The third episode comes under a lot of is coming in for a lot of flack, but I really liked it because it showed that for me it was Dracula's been alive for five hundred years mm. and he's now finally found somebody who he thinks is perfect, mm. and that's why so much time was spent on Lucy and Lucy's story it was mm. to just show you exactly what it was that he could see in it mm. because she, everybody knows about Dracula, mm. everybody knows about Van Helsing, everybody knows about me, and everyone knows every character in the Dracula story. Mm. This one needed to be explained, which is why she got a full episode. Yeah, now that that's true, it's important. Yeah, yeah. Okay, 
Yeah, loved it. Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I can't wait to get my own copy of it to keep and watch forever. <laughs> well, I did say really quickly before we finish episode one and two, you could just watch them as standalone episodes, yeah, like definitely. standalone programs, because they were an hour and a half. Especially the first one, absolutely brilliant. Even the way it ends. Yeah, yeah. Um, second one, the way it, obviously you could maybe f- finish it where he's at the bottom of the the uh, the water, you know, in the water. Yeah, and then if it went off, then it'd be brilliant. It'd be really good. How beautiful was that shot of Whitby Abbey as well? Fantastic! Oh, can't <laughs> wait to get back to Whitby. Absolute um, top golf holiday. <laughs> <laughs> Love Whitby. Um, right. Okay. So thank you very much for listening um, yeah. to episode six. Mm. Um, we'll be back shortly. Yeah, Hopefully. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. We hope you enjoyed the show, folks. It's players out, it's the Ruttles and Cheese and Onions. Remember, be excellent to each other. <laughs>